You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow a side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here and Today in the guest chair, I have two amazing women, KJ Miller and Amanda Johnson. KJ and Amanda are graduates of Harvard Business School and the co-founders of Mented Cosmetics, short for Pigmented. These two women are making their mark on the beauty industry, redefining what a natural beauty look is for women of color. It all started when they both realized that they were struggling to find the perfect nude lip. So these ladies took matters into their own hands and created Mented. Mented is an upscale beauty brand for all women of color who are looking for great nude and neutral looks. These two women figured out the one thing the industry had forgotten to do and now have a thriving beauty company. On this episode, KJ and Amanda share how they learned to make beauty products in the first place, their early mistakes when starting the brand, and what it really takes to launch and keep a brand afloat, plus much more. We'll hear from KJ and Amanda in just a second. But first, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. As business owners, we all know the challenge of finding great talent to make our businesses not only survive, but thrive. That's where ZipRecruiter comes in. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on people finding you. It finds them for you. 80% of business owners who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within one day. So no more juggling back and forth emails or calls to your phone. Simply screen, rate, and manage all candidates in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash hustle to try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash hustle. All right, now let's get into it. Welcome to the guest chair, ladies, the inaugural two-person interview. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your background. Now, what were each of your career paths before founding Mented? Sure. Well, I'll I'll jump off. So this is KJ, by the way. Um, And thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be on the podcast. Um, So, you know, my background prior to Minted was all things retail. I was a fashion buyer for several years, first in Chicago at Kmart. Then I moved to New York and worked for a smaller e-commerce company as their women's apparel buyer for several years before heading to Harvard Business School, which is where I met Amanda. And then post Harvard Business School, I worked in retail consulting for two years for one of the large consulting firms. And while I was there, Amanda and I started working on Minted. So we truly were side hustling for about a year and some change before we decided to go full time on Minted. But that's that's my background. 
Um, so this is Amanda, where KJ always knew she wanted to do retail and is such a veteran and a, has a love for it. I kind of meandered into this space, if you will, just kind of following my passion and what I found that I loved. So I actually started my career in investment banking, did that for about two and a half years. I realized I wanted a tangible product, not just a financial one, and then left and went to Time Inc. to do consumer marketing, which I just fell in love with. I love content and customers' stories. So I wanted to learn more. So after a couple of years there, I went to Harvard Business School, again, where I met KJ. We had an amazing time for two years. And then I really knew I wanted to pursue kind of retail digital space. So post-school, I ran the digital business development group at Barney's New York, the department store, really focused on building out digital experiences, and then went full-time on Minted in November 2016 with KJ. Congrats, ladies. And wasn't business school such a good time? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Best two years. That we could do it again, for sure. So how did the idea, you both kind of touched on it, but how did the idea for Mented truly come about and for you guys to work on it together? Yeah, um, Samanda. So when we met in business school, we kind of just clicked right away. We just had similar senses of humor and like knew what we wanted to do. And we had this love of retail and stories and customers. And so post business school, we would get together once we moved to New York, we would get together at KJ's house over a bottle of wine and talk about different ideas. And we had some that, you know, thought had some meat to them, but we weren't really passionate about it. And then one night we were just talking about life hacks and other random things that we were doing. And I said something like, I've been looking for the perfect nude lipstick for like three years. And KJ was like, what? Me too. And this light bulb just went off that, you know, this was something we were both passionate about. We were both not really finding what we wanted out in the market. And so it was an idea we wanted to pursue. And from there, we did the research. We went to all the drug stores and the department stores and the beauty big box stores. We talked to friends and family and really researched the idea and what we came out with was it wasn't just a problem with women of color trying to find a great nude lipstick. It was a greater problem within beauty of women of color not being prioritized and not just, you know, not having representation in the advertisements, but also not truly having products made for us with us in mind. We were always add-ons to an existing collection, you know, the last couple dark shades on the end. And so although we were spending all of this money and you have this very engaged audience, audience of women of color when it comes to beauty, the beauty industry has really kind of left us behind. And we thought, you know, this is just silly. You know, our money is just as green as anyone else's. And in fact, we spend that much more than our Caucasian counterparts. And so KJ and I really felt like this was a space where we had something to offer. We were not only the founders, but the customers. And we had an interesting and different perspective to bring to beauty. So you guys are working full time. You've graduated. You have this idea. How did you then start to make it into an actual business? And I mean, who knew how to make lipstick? Did either of you know how? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. So I think once we had the idea, we did what we knew how to do. So the first thing we did, like Amanda said, was research. We bought every variation of a nude lipstick you could to see, all right, is it actually out there? And we just haven't found it. Once we realized, nope, not out there, like these all look terrible. 
we said, okay, you know, and my background in retail sort of spans operations and supply chain and whatnot. So we said, all right, well, let's reach out to some manufacturers, some labs, and let's see if this is something they can build for us from scratch. And we heard in a lot of different variations in a lot of different ways. Basically, we heard either, no, we don't really get it. Like we already have pinks and beiges. Uh, so your idea for a new nude doesn't make sense. Or, well, let's start with our stock shades and we can tweak them a bit to make what you want. And both scenarios were like, don't make sense because on the one hand, you don't know what we're doing. And on the other, we don't trust your stock shades. That's the whole point. You know, like we don't think we can just tweak it a little bit and get there. And so that's when we said, all right, we've got to figure out how to make lipstick. So actually neither of us knew how going in, but I remember after getting off of some call with like upteenth manufacturer, I was like, Amanda, we just got to figure this out. And I went to YouTube and found some video of some girl making lipstick. And then turns out there are a lot of videos on YouTube, uh, if you cared to watch, um, about DIY makeup, some of them more professional than others. People are literally out here melting down crayons to make lipstick. We didn't do that. Wow. But, <laughs> but apparently you can, because one thing we learned in the process is crayons are fully edible, like, you know, because they're for kids. So that's why people, you know, can put them on their lips. But anyway... We learned the more professional way. We bought our industrial mold. We bought our base, our oil, our wax, our colorants, and, and taught ourselves how to make lipstick and then started making shades that we felt would be great on a wide range of women and then started testing them. We started inviting our friends over, our black friends, our Hispanic friends, our Indian friends, our Middle Eastern friends. We wanted to see it on as many different ethnicities as possible and as many different hues as possible, but it really was cooked up in our kitchens, these handmade samples. Um, we spent almost every weekend, because obviously we were both working at the time, either making lipsticks or finding girls to put the lipsticks on so that we could see them. So it, it very much was a side hustle, but it was what we got to do, where work, you know, often felt like what we had to do. This was the thing. Oh, thank God. It's Saturday. I get to do minted. So now after you've tested it out and you start to get the hang of it, when did you say, OK, we're going to put up a website. We're going to sell these. There were steps along the way where the light bulb went off, I think, over the, you know, between the initial idea and launch in January 2017, um, officially launched March 2017. There were so many moments along the way where we said to ourselves, this is something real. We're ready to go out there. This is something real. And I'll talk about some and, and KJ can talk about some. I think there were some points early on where we said we have something real here. So when we on the weekends would get together and make our handmade samples, we started sending them to influencers on Instagram to review. And it was a very honest, like, we're these two girls. We have this idea and we'd love for you to review our shades to let us know what you think. Not even like post on Instagram or anything. Just let us know what you think. And they loved it. And they started posting it to their audiences and talking about Minted. And so from the beginning, we had to start, before we even launched, handling our Instagram account. And we had to put up a page on our website before we even launched that was just collecting emails because people wanted to know more. So I think early on, we knew there was something demand was building, but we still weren't quite ready to launch. We still wanted to like get more feedback and perfect the product. And then I think... Outside of that as well, we had enough feedback from all of our kind of focus groups and friends and family where we were, you know, constantly tweaking and perfecting the product and then trying to find a manufacturer that could really 
handle what we were trying to do. So I think those two things, finding the manufacturer and starting to handle that early demand were points where we knew, okay, we have something here to launch. Yeah, I just would add to that, I think a moment for me, and like Amanda said, there were all these sort of little moments where we would both just kind of look at each other and be like, wow, we've got something here. And and one that stands out for me is actually the, the first full-on focus group we did. So up until that point, we had just sort of been inviting people over to try the shades in onesie twosies, or like we'd be out at a cocktail party or at a happy hour and we'd be like, oh, we haven't seen the lipstick on her skin tone yet. And we'd pull a girl over and be like, you know, <laughs> put, put this lipstick on. Um, so we had seen it on a bunch of different girls, but we hadn't yet done like a full-on people we don't know, like let's really get all of this feedback at once. And I just remember at the moment where we started trying on the shades, and this was in my apartment, by the way, this focus group, and we had all the girls stand around my little kitchen table. We had all these little compacts out in every shade of the lipstick, and we would have them each try on each one all together. So we'd say, okay, now everyone put on Nude La La. Everyone put on Minted Number 5. And every single time, the majority of the girls would be like, oh my God, I love this shade. And like just the responses, the looks on their faces, the like not wanting to stop looking at themselves in the little compact or being like, Ooh, I wish I had on some blush, you know, because this would just pull this whole thing together. Like really just seeing the the women react and, and feel so beautiful, so good. And so and like so many times we heard little phrases like, I never would have thought I could wear this color. Like, Oh my God, I've never had a nude like this or just like this wonderment and surprise, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just the whole thing by the end of it. I mean, I think we both were so elated because it was real, you know, it was like, look, we, we made this in our kitchen, but we are making these women feel celebrated, feel prioritized, feel beautiful, feel important, you know, like feel like, oh, I am ready to go out tonight. Like that just was everything. And that was one of those moments for me where it really clicked. Like we have to do this. If we can make more people feel like this, we've got to do this. And tell me how you feel your business school experience helped you with this entire process. Because as you're talking about your focus group, I'm like, they're such MBAs. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) And it's funny because I feel like now there's this whole school of thought, like, focus groups are bad because there's group think and blah, blah, blah. Like that's now the new, the new school of thinking. And we're like, whatever, we like our focus groups. We have wine. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'll say for me, I think the MBA has been most helpful in terms of the network. I mean, I know everyone says that, but really and truly from the mentors we have to the advisors we have to the investors we have, like HBS right now is dominating all of those pieces. And I think it's because we built such a strong network and such a diverse network of people. And so anytime there's something we don't know, our first call is almost always to a fellow HBS grad, whether it's someone in our class or someone, you know, many, many classes before us who happens to be an expert in that topic, whether it's someone we get connected to via another classmate, like Almost always, if there's something we don't know or something we need clarity on or some, you know, a question, whatever, that's where we head first. And that's so invaluable because there are going to be 800 bajillion things we don't know. You know, it's it's impossible to know everything about whatever business you're starting. And so that, to me, has been the number one most valuable thing. Um, Yeah, I would say confidence, too. Like, I feel like one of the things business school made really normal for me was the idea of entrepreneurship and how okay it is to maybe fail at entrepreneurship, but the real like 
joy is in trying it. And, you know, everybody at business school was like, you know, one day I'm going to start this kind of business or I've already started three businesses. I've failed four times. And this is, you know, (laughs) so normal. And for me, I never really thought about entrepreneurship, but business school normalized it for me in a way that has given me confidence that, you know, win, lose or draw. And obviously we're expecting Minted to win, but win, lose or draw, this was something worthwhile and something worth pursuing. And I just don't know that I would have had that outlook before. So it certainly helped me with confidence. And of course, as KJ said, all the contacts, but like, it just made it okay in a way that I don't know I would have thought about before. Right. So then how did you financially prepare for this leap? You know, speaking of business school, speaking of loans, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) when did you really feel like, okay, we can make this leap? The loans are real. Yeah. Um, Well, we fundraised And I think fundraising is a necessary evil a lot of the time when you are looking to launch a startup. You don't have to do it, but certainly in a resource intensive business, which, you know, a consumer products company is, it helps. So I think both Amanda and I, you know, we're incredibly pragmatic, as I I tend to think most black women are. Um, And neither one of us wanted to quit our full time jobs without some type of either term sheet from an investor or some other form of financial security in place. Because like you said, we both had loans. We both lived in and can still live in Harlem. So we're paying Manhattan rent. You know, we both got to eat. You know? <laughs> so we were like, look, we can't be, we, we're not one of these trust fund babies. We're not sitting on, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars in savings accounts that we can just fall back on if this thing doesn't work. Like, no, we have real obligations. And so I will say we hit the ground really hard. Is that the, no? Maybe the phrase is hit the pavement. Hit the ground makes it sound like we like failed. We hit the pavement <laughs> really hard, looking for investors and, and and sort of doing a mini road show. Um, when we knew we had something great, when we knew we had feedback from influencers and and from consumers and all of those things, and we're able to raise enough and get to a point that we said, okay, we've got enough here that we can really go full time in this thing, give ourselves a real shot. Now, when we when we actually left, the amount that we actually had in the bank differed from the amount that we had committed. Like people had said they would give us a certain amount. Only some of those people had actually given it. So we were very much taking a leap of faith that everyone would come through on their commitments. And for that reason, we actually didn't end up paying ourselves for the first, I think, four, maybe five months that we were doing this. Um, so we we still had to do the grind where we weren't making any money and we were eating ramen. Well, I wasn't eating ramen, but we were eating, you know, we were eating like peanut butter and jelly or whatever. <laughs> but we did have some form of security in hand. And I think as pragmatic black women, that was important to both of us. Did you also actually start making the product before you left or were you just like, okay, we're leaving to start developing it full time? And by developing, I mean, like, was it for sale on the website yet? Like it it wasn't fully launched? Mm -hmm. No. So it all kind of um, happened together. So we officially left our jobs in November, but I would say maybe October we really solidified maybe a little bit before that, the manufacturer. So then a month after that, like December, they really started working on, you know, producing the product and we like finalized everything. And then we went into pre-sale on our website in January, 2017, and then officially launched March, 2017. So for us, it was measured pace. And we really kind of thought about 
how it could all run together in such a tight time frame to get to go live. But also we had to think about the money and who could we pay and when could we pay them. So the cycle of kind of us leaving our jobs and us hiring all the right vendors and starting that process all kind of happened close together, like right at the same time. But it was like, you know, a a set kind of schedule of how everything had to work pretty quickly within tight deadlines to make it work. Yeah. And I'll just pipe in with a a story that is funny now regarding, (laughs) (laughs) regarding tight deadlines. So, you know, we make all of our products in America. We're very proud of that. But a lot of our packaging actually comes from China. And that's true for 99% of beauty companies. Like tiny makeup tubes are just made in China for some reason. And so we had thousands of them being produced in China in December. But China essentially as a country shuts down, at least the countryside shuts down for Chinese New Year, um, which I think fell in late January last year. And But it doesn't just like shut down for like the day or the week. It shuts down for like a month. And if you don't, if you don't get your stuff either on a boat or on a plane before this shutdown happens, like forget it. <laughs> like you'll hear from them in something like 30 to 60 days. And so we thought, you know, there are things you just don't know. Like you don't know till you don't know. We thought we had an agreement in, in place with this manufacturer that they would be responsible for shipping everything to us. Um, very much, you know, lost in translation. What we later realized, and, li- and by later, I mean like right before everything was about to shut down was we did not have an agreement in place. They had no intention of shipping to us. We were supposed to arrange the shipping, which we had not done. And then very quickly tried to do in, you know, Google translate with some (laughs) Chinese shippers because we were like, Oh my, like this is shutting down. It's shutting down. Um, and thank God at the last minute, the woman was like, well, okay, if we can't get it to you by boat, we could always FedEx to you by plane. And we were like, why didn't you lead with that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we were, I mean, I tell you, this was like, I don't know if this was the night before Christmas or the night after Christmas. It was very much in the Christmas time frame, right before everything was about to shut down. And I, I mean, we were, it was like midnight because obviously it's noon their time. And I mean, I've never had such a palpable heart attack. I was just uh. like, oh my God, we've, what's going to happen? We can't not put the lipstick in tubes, you know? <laughs> like, so it's funny now, but at the time it was so, so unbelievably stressful. But, you know, oh now my we know. Gosh. Well, pro tip for anyone ordering from China. Thank yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you talked a bit about having to line everything up, timeline, rollout of what you were going to invest in the business. How did you pick and choose what was the most important thing to invest in from launch? Because I, you know, I noticed that you've had great PR. You have great people working for you. You've gotten great press. Did you prioritize PR over, let's say, I don't know, something else? Yeah, good question. Yeah. I, I will say we bef- we definitely knew PR was super important, right? I, I think that I'm trying to think like, did we prioritize it over something else? I'm not sure, but for sure we put that in the budget. We were like, oh, gotta have a PR firm because in beauty, you know, if your name isn't out there, if people aren't hearing about you from sources they trust, it's just really difficult to get someone to try your brand. Yeah, and I think I'll say for us, again, it was about, 
how to strategically think through that tight deadline. So um, many of you who are starting businesses will know, like when you look for a PR firm, they want to lock you up in a contract for, you know, some amount of months, three months, six, six months, one year. And we knew we wanted to do pre-orders starting in January, but we knew we didn't want to officially launch till March because we weren't going to get the product from China and the manufacturers until March. So we thought about PR like, okay, if someone loves us enough and like writes an article about us, we're very optimistic in the beginning, um, which has proven true, but like that the press would love us as well. We said, we don't want 10 articles coming out. And then we kind of have pre-orders, but we don't really have product for people. We didn't want to have any disappointment to like a greater audience than kind of the enthusiasts that we'd already built up and not having product ready to ship. So again, it was something that was strategic and we timed it. We said, we won't have a PR firm starting January when we start pre-orders, but we will have one in place and out there pitching us come March once we actually have product to ship to people. So like KJ said, it was always a part of the plan, but we did think about when does it make sense to really go out to the press and have you know samples to give them and a story to tell them when will that be the tightest and most put together? And that wasn't going to be until March. And so from January up until March, we worked with you know a few of our friends, some hookups that we had to get a few stories here and there, but we knew we weren't ready for like the great wide world until we had products. So it's something that we knew we needed and we were always going to have PR. Like KJ said, you can't be a beauty company without it, but we were just thoughtful about when we wanted to do it. So let's talk a little bit about product expansion because you started with lipsticks, but have since expanded to other products. How did you determine which product categories you wanted to expand to? Well, for sure, our true guide when it comes to product expansion is, are we solving a problem? So we don't want to just be coming out with products for the sake of coming out with products. We want each one, particularly in the beginning as we're building out our roadmap, to really be solving a problem that we are hearing from our girl, from our customer saying, you know, so we started with new lipstick. We could not stop hearing from so many different people how big of a problem was. Then from there, we kept hearing, you know, it's a problem for me too, but I'm not a lipstick girl. I'm a gloss girl. And we quickly realized while there are some people who wear both, there are a lot of girls who are like, nope, I'm in this camp or I'm in this camp. And we didn't want to miss out on the gloss girls. And so we knew, okay, the fall marquee product has to be gloss because we've got to serve them as well. In between lipstick and gloss, we decided we wanted to do something small because summer typically is just not a big season for beauty, but we did want to introduce something. And for us, that's something that really made sense was nail polish because one, again, we knew from personal experience and from other people, finding a great nude nail polish as a woman of color is often really difficult. But two, we knew from a resource perspective, it wasn't going to be nearly as intensive. And we wanted something that we could introduce quickly as a limited edition. If it did well and, you know, it did do well, we would bring it in in our permanent collection, which is what we've done because it's done so well. But if it didn't, it's okay. We made a small buy. We didn't spend a lot of money on it. So that really was the 2017 strategy. Let's focus on lips and let's introduce a little pop. The 2018 strategy, again, is very much focused on solving problems. So eyeshadow will come in the spring. We've heard from so many women and we know from personal experience, finding a good nude palette where all of the colors actually show up on deeper skin tones is so difficult. And not only that, 
you know, one thing we've learned in the focus groups we've done on eyeshadow is so many women and, and not just women of color, but so many women don't wear eyeshadow because it feels intimidating. It feels like, oh, if I don't blend it just right, if I don't get the right three or four shades, like it's going to take all day, then I might as well not do it. And eyeshadow, I think, is one of those things that quickly takes your look from sort of like bland to glam. So if we can get more girls into it and with a palette that makes sense for them, like huge win. And then of course, we are eyeing foundation and we, that is our number one most requested product. Foundation, foundation, foundation. When are you coming out with foundation? So we've started working on it. We don't talk a lot about the release date for that, but just know it's in the works. Um, and the reason we don't talk about the release date is because we want to nail it and we have a release date in mind, but if it's not perfect by that point, we'll push it, you know, because we know with foundation, you got to get it right. And we're so excited to get it right. But every product from here, you know, going forward really is going to be about what does she need? What can't she get elsewhere? What can we do better than what's out there? I love the fact that, you know, you guys are slowly scaling up, expanding the offerings. Now, has the business started to pay for itself and even reap profit yet? And what are some of the first things you're investing back into it? Um, I would say two things to that. One is this has been an incredible summer for us for so many reasons. We've gotten some great press from Essence back in July that really took us to the next level. We've gotten some great support from some influencers that have, you know, really exposed us to some great audiences. Shout out to Jackie Aina and others. And so it's been a really incredible summer and sales have certainly just exploded. And we are excited to say that, yeah, we are starting to become profitable and make some of that money back that we're <laughs> certainly spending, which is not something we expected to say at this point at just nine months in, but it's the position that we're in and we're so grateful and thankful for. And I think one of the reasons that we've gotten here is because of the community we've built. So we know that press and influencers help build our community, but we're also building the community by great content, great videos, great blog posts, all the kind of work we do. So one of the things that we know we want to continue to invest in is our content and our community building. And so we'll continue to do what we do, but build on it and create even better videos, even more events, you know, in terms of getting out there and engaging with people. And so I think you'll continue to see the great content and community building you've always, you know, our customers have always known meant it for, but we'll take it to the next level and really start to invest in kind of content and community 2.0. And, you know, other than China, what's the biggest challenge or most surprising <laughs> thing that you've experienced since starting Minted? Uh, I, I feel like it changes weekly. I fear. <laughs> um, honestly, I feel like the thing that I'm banging my head against the wall about this week is different than the thing that was last week and the thing last month. W one thing I'm banging my head against the wall about all the time is fundraising. As I mentioned in the beginning, we, we did it when we first launched. We're doing it again now. Like a lot of companies, it's sort of a cycle. You're always jumping in and jumping out. And women of color, you know, make up, I think it's I think the stat is 0.2% of venture funding goes to women of color. And we are very fortunate to be a part of that 0.2%, but that, you know, should make it very clear just how difficult it is, how many hurdles these guys make you jump over 
even when you are profitable and growing rapidly and getting some of the biggest influencers like Jackie Aina to say amazing things about you. Like even in the midst of all that, I mean, the hoops you have to jump through and the social proof that's asked for that isn't typically asked for from, you know, your average white guy launching a pizza app, you know, like that can be so frustrating. And so I, 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 yeah, I guess I would probably put that in one of my top three buckets of stress. What, what about you, Amanda? (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's see. Challenges. There's so many and they vary. I would just say, I think, you know, one of the things that we've been really good at is capturing the black audience, right? And really building up that community when it comes to Minted. That is who we are. That is our story. A lot of our friends, certainly our families. And so we get it and we know her and we know her in different ages and stages of life. And we understand, but, you know, Minted is a global brand. It is a big dream and it includes every woman with melanin. So whether you are South Asian or Middle Eastern or Hispanic, you know, you are included in the Minted community and you are who we are targeting. And so one of our challenges is just how do we address those non-Black minority communities? How do we convey our story to the Hispanic girl and the Indian girl and the Arab girl and like make sure she knows Minted is her home too? And we know what it takes in terms of like content and influencers and the right events and the right spaces. But, you know, that still takes strategy and time and focus and effort and you know, we're constantly being pulled in a million different directions. And so it's just the next big challenge that we're excited to tackle. And every week we think about it in different ways and every quarter that kind of changes, but we're excited with, you know, some of the progress that we have in that area and we'll just continue to tackle it. Okay. As you touched on the fundraising piece, have you at all thought about like, would you ever from here on out want to change your financial model and make the customer the pure capital stream. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly the goal and the dream. You know, I, yeah, I think I know it's hard, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, what's tough about that, honestly, is just growth. You know, Amanda and I, from the beginning, have said Minted is a global brand that's the home for women of color and beauty from the beginning. Right. That's a big vision. And it's one that we are chasing after. It's one that we believe in, but it's one that takes capital. And so while we are growing rapidly and growing much faster than either of us anticipated, it still takes a lot of money to fund the type of growth that we are really seeking. So it can it can happen. And and other companies have done it. But those companies are are, are sort of few and far between the vast majority of companies that anyone is familiar with to get to the level of growth that they're at. They had to raise a fair amount of money. Now, not all of them do it via equity. Some of them do it via loans. And we've certainly looked into debt as a strategy as well. But I think, you know, we've we've got big dreams and and big dreams take big money, you know, so I think we'll be fundraising for you know, the next few years, but that's something we knew at the outset that we, that we'd be doing. And so as challenging as it is, it's also something I think that's making us stronger as founders and as entrepreneurs, as saleswomen, you know, I think we are better businesswomen for having t- had to, you know, um, conquer this challenge. And, and it's one that we're up for, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the plan for now. All right. Now we're going to transition into the lightning round. Since it's two of you guys, why don't you both answer the first thing that comes to mind. Like I would say, you know, Amanda, then KJ, just to 
keep it flowing. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? YouTube. You can literally learn any and everything on YouTube. We learn how to make lipsticks on YouTube. We've learned more about Facebook marketing and how to set up everything you need on YouTube. Uh, learned how to move things around on our website on YouTube. Learned about influencers. Anything and everything, particularly operationally, that you need to, to know to run a business, you can learn on YouTube. I will also go with technology and say G Suite the Google, you know, Google Calendar, Google Drive, Google Spreadsheets, blah, blah, blah. We live on G Suite and <laughs> it is very, very convenient. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? Well, I really like how I built this, which is, I think, an NPR podcast of, you know, fairly famous entrepreneurs and, and their stories. I know the founder of Carol's Daughter was on there, the founder of Radio One, founder of Spanx. Like, I, I tend to like the women's stories and skip over some of the men's stories, whatever. I'm biased, but yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed that podcast. Um, yeah, and I would say there's a Forbes podcast for startups, and there was one on Glossier and Emily Weiss and how she started her business, and I just really admire what she's been able to do, and so I loved hearing her story. Number three, who inspires you and why? Um, so I would say number one is my mom. She has always been a pillar of strength for our family and also pursued her career ambitions, which I really appreciate and admire, whether it was of the grad school and really becoming what she wanted to be, which um, she's now retired high school principal, um, but also staying really active in the community. And then as a family, we all know that she was there for us all the time, um, but she also had her own priorities. So I just appreciate what she's taught us and how she loved us. Yeah. And I, I have to echo Amanda. My mom is definitely the most inspiring woman I know. She's a doctor who raised three girls and, you know, just has always been a career woman and has never made it seem like anything other than the norm for me to be ambitious and focused on my career first. She had me when she was 35 and I'm like, that it worked out fairly well. So I'm in no rush. And yeah. So, so my mom for sure. Number four, what's a personal strength that has helped you significantly in your business? Um, I would say, and it kind of sounds weird because it feels a little boasty, but <laughs> I'll go there anyway. Um, I think uh, empathy and the ability to relate to people is a personal strength of mine. And I think it's helped us as we've thought about the brand and the community and the voice and how we want to present, minted and engage um, with our customers. Yeah. And I would say my, one of my strengths is resilience, I think. I bounce back easily and fairly quickly, kind of regardless of how far I've fallen down. Um, I just seem to focus on, all right, well, that happened. What's next? And and I think that is an invaluable <laughs> character trait, um, given the number of setbacks we've faced. And finally, number five, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be like you, but are worried about losing that steady paycheck? Um, I would say you have to try it. If you have an idea and you think this might be for you, I know it's scary and there will absolutely be things you have to sacrifice, but it is a worthwhile pursuit, win, lose, or draw. And 
and everyone who has the ambition should go after it. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and, and I would just add, you know, I think an idea that you are excited about in the morning and can't stop thinking about and thinking about before you go to bed and daydreaming about in the shower. And, you know, when you work on it on weekends, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like, you know, oh, finally I get to live, you know, I get to do this thing I'm excited about. I think when you've got that idea, then like Amanda said, go for it. And if it's not that idea yet, then keep side hustling, you know, and see if it turns into that. I think there's so many ways to determine if a business is the thing that you you should go full-time on before going full-time, like launching small-scale websites, doing, I don't know if you can do a smaller version of it, if it's a service, you know, offering that service first to a smaller group of people, only on weekends, whatever it is, there are ways to figure out if it's truly viable and if it's something that you just feel like you can't stop thinking about, then I agree with Amanda. Like you, you got to go for it. Amanda, KJ, what's the best way that we can all connect with you after this episode? Um, well, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Amanda E. Johnson, um, or on Twitter at Pretty Pensive. Yeah. And I am uh, on both as well. So LinkedIn, Kristen dash Jones dash Miller is like, you know, the thing at the end. Uh, so Kristen Jones Miller. Um, and then on Twitter, it's at I am underscore KJ. And if we want to check out Minted, please go to mintedcosmetics.com. Awesome. Alrighty, ladies, it has been such a pleasure. I am rooting for you guys. I'm about to stock up on Mented after yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. And there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at Side Hustle Pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.